You're listening to Geek Girl Meets. Hello and welcome to Geek Girl Meets, the podcast that brings you an awesome woman in tech to talk about her career, what she's learned and pass along some awesome tips just for you. Today I am joined by my first remote guest, Lauren Maffio, who I'm speaking with from Washington DC, which considering I'm alone in a booth in London is making me feel super fancy right now. So welcome, Lauren. How are you? I'm doing great, Kathy. Thanks for having me, especially being so far away. You know, this is the first time that we've done this on Geek Girl Meets, and I'm I'm really happy that it's with you, and I'm really happy that you know we're contacting Washington. It makes me feel super important. Lauren is a senior content analyst for GetApp, which is part of Gartner. Now, Lauren, I need you to explain what does senior content analyst mean. I'm happy to. I don't expect anybody to know at first glance what that title refers to. But basically, I write about software for a living. So GetApp is part of Gartner, as you said, and we are focused on helping small and mid-sized business owners with less than a thousand employees find the right software for their business. So if you are an HR manager, for example, and you need to buy new software for your business, the idea is that you would go to getapp.com you would click on HR software or whichever other category of software you need. You would filter by features, budget, location, different other factors like that. And then you would ultimately hopefully use our website, including LinkedIn verified reviews to find the best HR software for your small business. Very, very cool. Thank you for providing that added detail that I did not know at the beginning of this podcast. But the first question that I have for you, and I did give you fair warning on this, was what did you want to be when you were little, Lauren? This is a fascinating question, and I've thought about it a lot in the context of my career in technology because I found an old book from preschool, my preschool graduation that they gave my parents every preschool graduate got this. And there was a page in it that asked us what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said at the age of four, when I grow up, I want to be a princess. That's a pretty common answer, I think, for girls that age. And I've reflected as an adult on why that's the case. And I think the answer really lies in the movie Misrepresentation, which is actually a documentary that came out several years ago, and I highly recommend it to listeners if they haven't already seen it. It basically talks about media literacy and also the representation or lack thereof regarding women in careers ranging from technology to politics. And the whole premise of the film is that you can't be what you can't see. And even though I'm not opposed to showing little girls Disney movies at all. I mean, I got great joy from them and I think they are a wonderful addition to entertainment. The challenge is that if you're only seeing a pretty narrow view of what a woman can do, you start to internalize that before you're way too young to even realize what you're doing. So again, I don't think there's anything wrong with those films per se, but I have reflected on it as an adult And I wonder if I would have said the same thing had I been exposed, for example, to more women who were doctors or women who were scientists. Those things didn't really exist for me as a child. And so I wonder how 
different representation might have changed that goal. But the other thing that I did want to do when I was young was, and I, my mom told me a few years ago that she had been digging out some old papers from elementary school because she had saved them as moms do. And she told me she came across something drawing I had made and on the top of it, I had written, I would really like to live in London one day. And sure enough, that did come true because I ended up moving to London in 2011. I stayed for two years and began my career in London's tech city. I have no memory of making that drawing, but that's that seems to have been a premonition. I love that. That's such a sweet little story. It is. It's. I must have seen The Parent Trap or something because I had not been to London at, at eight or nine years old yet. So I must have seen films and decided that it was a place that I wanted to live, apparently. And that came true. That's very, very cool. Well, I'm quite jealous that you're in Washington, D.C. From my perspective, I would love to go there and just soak up all of the history that surrounds you. It's on my, my list of places that I need to go and visit. I'm just going to take you back to that, that representation point for a moment. That stuff I find absolutely fascinating. And, and you know, there's the, the wider debate of, you know, the way in which we treat young girls and young boys and the way that we, you know, we very, we're very quick to gender them because that's what society does, right? So it's that, that whole idea of if you go onto Google and you go to images and you type in, girls toys and then if you do it again you type in boys toys girls toys it's just a sea of pink and boys toys it's blue it's green it's brown it's yellow it's a few other different colors but it's it's just interesting that from that young age people surround us with a particular way in which we're expected to be as as children just a, something that i think you might find interesting you're talking about a uh, representation like disney princesses and and the way that young girls see women perceived in the media there's a company here in london called detective dot i don't know if you've heard of them i have heard of them but i'm not totally sure what they do so detective dot targets a slightly older group it's uh, ages seven through to 11 and the whole idea is that detective dot is part of the cia the children's intelligence agency and through the stories of Dot, kids can learn logic, learn kind of basic analytics. It's kind of getting them used to code. So it's got a, a, a tech and learning point to it. But one of the key things that the founder, Sophie Dean, wanted to do when she started was she wanted to change the stereotype. So the, the protagonist is Dot. Dot is not white. She has a robot psychic. And, and she is a character that is encouraged for both genders, for boys and for girls at a young age to kind of see. Because it's, it's you know, talk about Disney princesses, but it's not just what we see in the movies. It's what we see on Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network as well. But it's just interesting now, you know, it doesn't affect us because we're, we're not four anymore. But it's interesting now I've got like nephews and nieces to see what is becoming available and the the younger startups that are trying to drive this change it is very interesting i think and it's it's interesting from a toy perspective but also a corporate marketing perspective because i think children's toys in some ways i feel like in the past 5 years as we've been having this conversation about lack of diversity in industries like tech 
at the same time, you've actually seen children's toys become even more gendered in a lot of ways. And that could be because people are noticing and calling it out more often rather than the fact that the clothes and toys for babies and children are more inherently sexist. I think it is possible that we just notice it and call it out more, which is great. And I think in the States, you're seeing brands start to respond to that backlash, so to speak. So one example is that you have big tech companies like GE that are advocating for more diversity in technology and things of that nature. And so you are seeing companies start to respond. There's those initiatives, I think, are going to take several years to come to fruition. And so there's a lot of disappointment with the immediate effect of these campaigns in the sense that they are not magically making corporate boards totally gender equal. And so I think this is unfortunately a long tail game that you have to play. But it is interesting on my end to see not only the reaction online and in the media to more gendered children's and babies' clothing and toys, but also how corporations are responding in their marketing in terms of the message they're sending to adult consumers. Yeah. it's I mean, The whole space I find entirely fascinating. And obviously, you and I are both absolute advocates for diversity in any form. So I'm sure that we could go on and on and on about this for, for a while. But I'm going to switch focus again because before we switch to tips and tricks that we can provide to the women out there, we do want to hear your story. So how did you go from Lauren who wanted to be a princess and wanted to move to London without necessarily realizing that's where she wanted to go to to being where you are now and, and back in Washington? Sure. I grew up in a suburb of Boston, so I'm originally from Massachusetts. I moved to Washington, D.C. for university at the age of 18. And when I was 20, I did my study abroad at St. Catherine's College at the University of Oxford. And so instead of having a gap year, as you do tend to in the UK, in the States, we tend to do study abroad in our third year of university. We have four years of university. And so typically you use what's called your junior year to either spend a semester or the whole year studying abroad. So I was accepted to a study abroad program at Oxford. I had never left the country before. And so that experience was more transformative in, it was transformative in more ways than I really expected it to be. I enjoyed it so much that I decided to apply to do a master's at the London School of Economics once I graduated from university. So four months after getting my bachelor's degree, I hopped the pond again and I moved to London this time. And I thought I was going to just stay there for a year to finish my degree and then move back to the States, ideally to New York, so that I could pursue a journalism career. And that's what I had wanted to do since high school. So I was always very clear about what I wanted to do. I oriented my academic major and all of my internships around working in journalism to be the most competitive I could be. Unfortunately, I was at university at essentially the same time that ad revenue shifted from media companies to technology companies like Facebook and Google. And so as a result of that, the industry was really starting to collapse. There there were not as many open roles as there had been. And I knew that I wanted to still have a job that revolved around reading, writing, and talking to people, but it was becoming apparent when I was at LSE that I was going to have to do some readjusting. So I actually 
went to a networking event at General Assembly's London campus not long after it opened in the summer of 2012. And I was writing my dissertation at the time. And I just went to this event off the cuff because someone invited me. And I ended up one connection I met there, I made there led to another. And the end result is that I stayed in London an extra year after finishing LSE so that I could become a freelance technology journalist writing about tech trends for sites like The Guardian and The Next Web, alongside consulting for several London-based startups, largely in Tech City and Shoreditch. And so I started my career in London, and I started it in technology. And that really is how I got from, let's say, university where I went in thinking I wanted to be a journalist to where I am now. I still feel like I use a lot of the same skills that I did it as a journalist. And I've realized that I want to stay in the technology sector because I find it so fascinating and relevant. So I feel like everything did align itself. And that's a long winded way of saying that I always was very clear on what I wanted to do. But I fell into the technology sector, even if you had asked me a year prior to that General Assembly event, if I would work in technology, I, it wouldn't have even crossed my mind. Yeah, it's interesting. I am, when I was at university, I was dead set on being a a radio presenter, which is why I now do a podcast, you know. Just well, you're as. doing a great job. You have a great radio voice. Thanks, love. But the the thing happened, the similar thing happened to me, you know, I university was when the recession was. So when you came out of university, job prospects weren't looking great. And then tie in trying to break into media and, you know, move to London, the expense of it all became a bit crazy. And I ended up falling into tech as well and into tech PR, just as you do so slightly slightly different angle I was I would have been the enemy of you I was on the PR side I'd have been pitching you and being like please Lauren please write this story well technically I've I've also gone to the dark side as an analyst now because now I write about software vendors rather than working for them yeah no that's true so when you first started in journalism and you, you know you're writing for the next web and you're writing for Guardian what just out of curiosity what was the process of making that happen because we you're not the first person that I've spoken to on this podcast who has at some point in their career touched on journalism and I just just curious you know when you're first like starting out there and you find yourself in tech as well how did it all kind of come together it's interesting. The same person who suggested that I go to the General Assembly London event was also writing for the Next Web at the time and made an introduction via email to one of the editors there. And so I ended up getting right in front of him and I was able to pitch some ideas that I wanted to write about. And that's something that I give both the Next Web and The Guardian a lot of credit for was that they were pretty open to my pitches. It could be that I was I was pitching ideas that aligned with what they wanted to cover. That's typically your best chance of success to get published, especially if you are a you know, freelancer. In hindsight, though, a lot of it was a mixture of me pitching my own ideas. And also, they would, the editors would share ideas for stories that they wanted freelancers to cover with us. And then it was kind of on a first come first serve basis what you would take. So in my freelance journalism career, I would say it was a mix of 
choosing to write about what the editors already needed coverage for, and also me pitching my own ideas. So one example of an idea that I did pitch off the cuff was attending a talk that Vince Cerf, who is known as the father of the internet, gave at the National Press Club here in Washington. And he gave a talk about how he worries that in a century, we might enter what's called a digital dark age, because if the servers where we are currently storing all of this digital information are not updated in the future, we might not be able to access them. And because so much of our information is now digital and not in written format, there is a risk that it could be lost if those servers in the technology at large isn't updated in the future to allow us to access this. And so I pitched the idea of reporting on that talk to The Guardian, and they that's an example of a piece that they accepted just based on an idea. It's a very good idea, and it obviously worked. <laughs> it did, it did. It's also just made me feel really frightened. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot about technology. You, you can't think too hard about it or else you'll just get freaked out, so. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, the uh, you know, I've got that fun job on the PR side of trying to jump on the horrible things that technology does in order to help promote a, a good thing that a client is trying to do in order to address these problems. Yeah, so so yeah, very aware of all of the uh, the issues and the, the scariness of it all. But we are going to switch back to talking about positives because there are many, many positives connected to the tech industry. And one of the things that I, I want to talk to you about is obviously reading up on you ahead of the, the opportunity to interview you on the podcast, you've had quite a few standout moments within your career. And one of the things that I would love to have your wisdom on is how other women out there can go about promoting themselves in the right way in order to unlock opportunities. So whether that is the opportunity of writing for The Guardian or the opportunity of winning an award or, you know, the, the way in which you can speak at you know world-renowned events anything like that so first of all why don't you just for a moment tell us what some of the career highlights have been for you sure one of the career highlights I had last February was making the drums 50 under 30 list of women worth watching in digital that was an award that I applied for in the summer of 2016 and I really found out about the opportunity, I think, on social media. I think maybe some people that I followed on Twitter had won that award, and, and I somehow heard about it through the digital grapevine and really decided to apply for it and see what would happen. I think that's a big key message that I want to give to listeners if it's if I could narrow it down to one thing is to not rely on anyone else to advocate for you. Because if, if you do that, you will stay stuck in a rut. The, the better option, I think, is a combination of building relationships within your industry that are genuine and not being afraid to put yourself forward for, for things like the Drums 50 Under 30 list. I think that seems counterintuitive because we do live in a society where it's frowned upon for women to advocate for ourselves because you're not supposed to want to be ambitious. And I think that's another example of something that's unconscious because listeners might be hearing me say that and thinking, of course, we're expected to be ambitious, especially if you grew up with the expectation on you that you would go to a renowned university or work for a prestigious job when you graduate. 
But the fact remains that when women advocate for themselves, they get dopped for it, for lack of a better phrase, more often than men do. And so it it becomes tricky in that way. But for an award like the Drums 50 Under 30, there's really no harm in writing down your accomplishments and putting it putting them forward. And if people are more qualified for the list than you are, then at least you've given it a try and done your best. But I think that's the big takeaway is to not be afraid to ask. Because if you don't ask, you don't get. And sometimes the answer is no. I still get rejected for things all the time that I apply for. But again, if you don't put yourself forward, the answer will always be no. And another thing that I think helps is to do a value exchange. So one example of something I did last year was I got to go to Zurich and speak at the Global Talent Summit about an op-ed that I had written for the Diplomatic Courier. And when I submitted that op-ed to Anna Rold, who is the editor and founder of the Diplomatic Courier, I knew that they were having this summit because I was submitting the op-ed for the special issue of the DC that was going to align with the conference. And so along with submitting the op-ed, I asked her if she needed more speakers for that event. And sure enough, she did. So in that, that was a case of me giving her something that she needed first because she needed content to go into the special issue of that publication. And I also offered to give her something through being a speaker at an event that she was running. And as someone who organizes events myself, I know that we always need speakers. And so that's another way of approaching of approaching it from a perspective of how you can grow your own career is looking first and foremost at how you can give value to other people. That's really, really, really good advice. And it, it echoes quite a bit of advice that I was um, party to a couple of days ago at a panel, which was talking specifically about personal branding. Now, one of the the questions that we got on that panel, and I'd love to get your take on this as well, was how do you move past imposter syndrome? So, you know, a lot of people are very quick to agree with you when you say, if you don't ask, you don't get. But one of the barriers, it's that that internal barrier that goes no, I can't, or oh, no, I can't talk about myself in a particular light. The I, I don't know, but I'm probably being very, very generalistic right now, but you know, there's a lot of women out there who don't big themselves up as much as they should. And, and that in itself becomes a bit of a barrier when you're trying to put yourselves forward for things like the drum 50 under 30. So have you have you ever had any problems yourself in terms of pushing yourself forward and feeling confident enough to do it and and even if you have or you haven't what advice would you give to someone who finds themselves kind of hitting their head against a wall <laughs> and not quite able to push themselves through it i probably i don't know if i should admit this but i get a little bit of imposter syndrome almost every time i go to write an article for work because i'm a lot of times writing about more technical topics. And then you have to get the mix of writing about the software accurately to wit and you have to align that with the audience's needs as, as readers. And so I, I get imposter syndrome a lot. And in terms of how to push past it, it's, it's not an easy thing. I think, and I think that's a different, I'm kind of answering a separate question because I'm talking about it in the context of work and how to overcome it when you're working on a stretch project, for example. But 
In terms of how to put yourself forward, I actually think doing it digitally really helps because I find that writing about myself is much easier than speaking about myself. So if I had to give a speech about whatever I've done to a group of strangers, that would feel a little strange to me because it would feel like blatant self-promotion. But I think when you're doing it digitally, whether you're applying via email or via a website to, let's say, speak at a conference, you're doing it in the context of explaining why you are the best person to fulfill what they need. So I just applied recently to speak at a, at a, another international conference, and it was that was relatively easy because I already had the material that I knew I wanted to cover. I knew it was material that they needed. And then talking about my background, again, digitally, was it was it felt very natural to have it go in that order so to speak and so i think so that's something that i find easier and i think that might be personal but there's no you know there's no when you're writing about your achievements on a screen you know the other person isn't seeing you and so from my perspective it's much easier to take risks because even if you even if the answer's no even if you don't get what you're putting yourself out there for there's no there's really no harm done no that's that's really 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 good advice and and i think it's so true and hopefully you know someone out there listening right now is going to take something away from what you've just said and apply it i want to see an ever increasing number of women putting themselves forward for various different awards and events now two more questions for you to end on the first one that i have is If you could look back to when you were starting out at university or even possibly when you graduated, what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? The biggest piece of advice I'd say is to stay confident in what you do well, but be adaptable about how you do it. And that really goes back to me talking about how I was so dead set on being a journalist. And I do still love the news in spite of how painful it is to hear sometimes these days. I haven't lost that passion for news. I also haven't lost my passion for reading and writing and learning new things, which is what I wanted to do as a journalist. And now as a tech analyst, I'm able to channel that into it just in a different way than I thought possible when I was at university. So that's something that I would say is to know that what you're doing well will serve you in good standing when you grow up, but make sure that you aren't locking yourself into an absolute perspective because the the world changes too quickly for that. And if you're not willing to adjust, you will miss opportunities that will give you the chance to do what you really want to do. It will just look different than you thought, think at the time. Yeah, I think that's very true. The ability to be agile with your own life. Exactly. That's a great, that's actually a great tagline. I'm going to use that because I write about agile project management software quite a bit. So Take it. It's yours. You can have it. I will. I will. I'll, credit, I'll, I'll TM it to you, though. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Now, the other question I had was around what you do in your life outside of work. So obviously, you know, we've, we've been talking about your career and giving advice to others, but we are not just the careers that we have and what we do for work. So it would be lovely to hear what your passions are outside of the, the day job. 
Sure. My ba- so if you talk to any of my friends or you look at my Instagram account, you'll see pretty quickly that I love to travel and I love to run. So thus far, I, I started really running. I ran for a little bit in high school, but I really started to run in my final year of university when I started from scratch and worked my way up to running a half marathon in six months. And since then, that was seven and a half years ago now. And since Since then, I've finished a bunch of races, including five half marathons and a marathon. The marathon was something I had wanted to do since I started running, and it took me six years to finally finish my first. But I think the timing was perfect because I was actually going through a challenging time, and I found that as painful as the long runs were to do in the D.C. summers, which are very humid, they were very therapeutic in terms of helping me clear my head. That's something running really still serves as a meditative experience for me in that way. When I'm able to time my feet to the floor and especially able to time any movements I make with my feet to the music I'm listening to while I run, I really find that there's no better way for me to clear my head and get an energy and mood boost. And so anybody who is interested in running, I would really encourage them to do it for that reason. It's not just good for your physical health. It's really great for your mental health. And the other thing that I'm really passionate about is traveling. I got to live in the UK for two and a half years. And one of my favorite things about it was how easy it is to be in another country with a totally different language and culture in just a few hours. I still really miss that about living in the UK, that the ability to do that easily. And so thus far, I pretty, I think at last count, I've been to 26 countries on four, five continents. And I'm hoping to visit 30 countries before I turn 30. So I've still got a little bit of time. But that's the big travel goal on my end. That's awesome. What are the countries that are on the list? Have you got them plotted out? The biggest the biggest thing I want to do is go to Australia and New Zealand within the next year. I it would be great to also go to Antarctica, but I think that's probably a little bit ambitious considering how time consuming and expensive it is. So that might be a retirement trip, but in the meantime the the I want to go to Australia and New Zealand within the next year uh and if possible maybe even work abroad from there for a couple of weeks. That sounds awesome. I might join you. They're currently on my list as well. I'm in the same boat as you right now where it's the plotting, what am I going to do before I turn 30? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's so funny. It's such an arbitrary birthday, but there's so much pressure around it even if you're not necessarily in you know going to turn 30. Yeah, it's weird how there is that now. There is increasingly an added pressure around this particular age. That in itself, that could be an entirely different podcast. So I think gonna... that should be. I think that should be your next idea. If you if you go into full time radio, you should uh, you should do a podcast on that. I think it'd be fascinating. I I'm definitely going to open it up. So anyone who is listening right now to the podcast, if you have burning questions or an opinion on why the hell has thirty become this incredibly pressurized age then you know use the hashtag geek girl meets and drop me a line and i would definitely try and incorporate that into a future podcast on that note lauren thank you so much for joining me from washington it makes me feel fancy still what would be great to know is how anyone listening can get in touch with you and a final quick question is there anything that you are involved in right now outside of work outside of your you know get fit passions and travel passions that you would like to tell our listeners about 
Normally, I feel like there would be, but actually this is the rare instance when there's actually nothing at the moment going on outside of work. I'm I'm running a 10-mile race in six weeks, and so between my day job and trying to train for that when I can, that's taking up most of my time. But if people want to read about my, read the work that I'm putting out there and my colleagues are putting out there, you can go to lab.getapp.com. Dot com, And then you can read the, the work that my colleagues and I are writing about software and technology trends, like how, for example, artificial intelligence is impacting accounting software, or how small business owners are using blockchain. Those are a few of the topics I've covered over the past year. So if they are interesting to listeners, I'd love to have them on our website. And you can also find me on LinkedIn under my full name. So it's just at and my full name. And I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram, again, under my full name, all one word. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you to you guys for listening as well. As per usual, if you want to stay in the loop with all of the current Geek Girl Meetup news, then do go to our website and sign up for our newsletter at geekgirlmeetup.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at GGMUK. And we are also on Facebook. And I have to do one final thank you to the lovely folks at Runway East here at Featherstone Street who let me in here occasionally to do awesome podcasts podcasts like the one that we've just done with Lauren. If for those of you that don't know, Runway East is one of London's leading co-working operators and they are dedicated to helping startups grow with their three sites here in Shoreditch and of course just down the road in Moorgate. So if you are a company, a team of one to 100 people, they have got options here for you. So do get in touch. And because you're listening to this podcast, if you use Geek Girl Meets and get in touch with Runway East at runwayea.st online, you can get 20% off any hot desk or dedicated desk membership by just using our name. So drop it in there and it could be worth it. Lauren, thank you again so much for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. You can follow Geek Girl on Twitter at GGMUK, sign up to our newsletter on the website at geekgirlmeetup.co.uk and you can like our Facebook page, Geek Girl Meetup UK. 